Hello, and welcome to Impact in the Classroom, the podcast that talks about big topics that have an even bigger impact in early education. I'm your host, Marnetta Larimer. I am joined today by two esteemed guests. You guys will not believe the conversation that we're going to have today. Our first guest is Dr. Jill Dickerson, Chief Research and Evaluation Officer at LENA. Can you please introduce yourself for us? Hi, thanks for having me. So I am the Chief Research and Evaluation Officer at LENA. I have been at LENA for 17 years now, so since before we had any technology. My background is actually in linguistics, so I have expertise in early language acquisition. But at the foundation, I'm primarily responsible for managing a team of people who collect and analyze the data that's in our our language corpus. So I'm excited to be here and excited to talk a little bit more about the data. There are three three programs that we support. One of them is called Lena Start, and that is a program that focuses on working with parents, right, in the home environment. So it's a parent group program where parents record with Lena and then they come into a group and they're able to view their data and learn about strategies, work with each other um, on ways to increase quality talk in the home. The second program is Lena Grow, and that is focused on childcare professionals, teachers, And it's a professional development program that um, allows teachers to see um, how much talk and interaction the children in their classrooms are experiencing. And it's a coaching situation where they record once a week for 10 weeks and um, they experience coaching where they have, where it's a really strengths-based approach where they're learning about ways to positively increase quality interaction in, in the childcare setting. And then we also have Lena Home, which is basically a program that can be used when you're doing home visiting. So those are our three programs. We're also joined by Barb Leto, a Grow Smart Coordinator for the City of Virginia Beach, Virginia. She leads their Early Childhood Education Collaborative Partnership. She's been in the field for over 30 years, and part of her work is about leading partnerships that support children and families across the community. Lots of experience here, lots of things for us to talk about, so let's go ahead and jump into our first question. Welcome to the podcast. First question. Thank you. You're welcome. We're so excited that you guys joined us to talk about some of the cutting edge research that Lena recently has put put out. You recently released findings that babies who were born after the pandemic are talking less, have lower cognitive performance, and have slower growth in white matter. Can you tell us a little bit more about these findings? Sure. So in order to talk about the LENA data, I have to explain what the technology is real quick. So LENA stands for Language Environment Analysis. We are a company that creates and distributes technology that helps parents and caregivers know how much they're interacting with the children in their care and provide strategies for them to increase that that talk because we know that it's so important for longitudinal trajectories, both brain development and long-term outcomes. So um, what Lena is, is a recorder that children wear. So it goes in the front pocket of their clothing. It's for children between two months and 48 months of age. So we're, we're looking at young babies here. So it records everything that they say for up to 16 hours. So we've got a day-long recording of their language activity and what's happening around them. And that audio is uploaded to a computer and then it's processed using our algorithms. And our algorithms will parse every bit of that audio data and tell us who is speaking. Is it the child that's vocalizing or is it an adult in the environment? 
So from that parsing, from that algorithm, we can know some important things about what the child is experiencing throughout the day. So we can know how often the child is, is speaking or vocalizing, and that's like a babble or a word. We can know how many words, adult words, the child is has heard throughout the day. And we can know, most importantly, how many back and forth interactions they have with adults. So if the child says something and an adult responds within five seconds, then that's what we call a conversational turn. Or if the adult says something and the child responds within five, that's a, that's a conversational turn. So we've been uh, measuring conversational turns for many, many years, and we have released several publications and other, other independent publications also come out showing that conversational turns are vastly more important for child development than just sheer adult word exposure. So we take that very seriously, and we thought, we heard from people that things were changing uh, during COVID. So we heard, you know, anecdotally talking to people like Barb and others that children are different, their experiences are different, and their development is, is different uh, during the pandemic, post-pandemic. So we thought, well, let's look at our data because we've been collecting audio data for many, many years. So we're, we know where children were with respect to turns and vocalizations before the pandemic and after. So we were interested in the language behaviors of children who had no life experience in or out of the womb before the pandemic. So our COVID era data included children who began gestating on or before March 15th, 2020. And so they thus had to be born after December 15th, 2020, nine months later. We started with our big pool of START participants in December 2021. That's when we pulled the data and limiting it to those that were born after December 15th, 2020, the sample was reduced to 237 children between zero and nine months of age. And then we also had to further limit the sample to those who we had addresses for because we use addresses to categorize families with respect to socioeconomic status using um, an area deprivation index or ADI. So that got whittled down a little bit more to 136 COVID era children. So then we wanted to compare language behavior before the pandemic. So we drew from a pre-COVID pool of Lena Star participants who recorded between 2017 and March 2020. So matching an age, uh, we needed only children between zero and nine months, we got down to 846 kids. And then including only children that we had zip code information for, we were down to 494. So our pre-COVID sample is 494 children and our COVID era sample is 136. So what we did is we looked um, at baseline data in our Lena Start program. Lena Start is a parent program. The, all of these recordings happen in the home. And um, we, we looked at baseline recordings before they started that 10-week program. So, you know, before they had changed any of their interactive behavior. When we compared children before and after COVID or during COVID, we found that um, they were vocalizing less frequently than their pre-pandemic peers, and they were interacting less frequently with adults. So this is all statistically significant findings, and it is concerning because we know that, you know, how important conversational turns are for early development. So wanted to get those findings out there so people can be thinking about it and, you know, taking action to, to really help support these families. Wow, that 
that's a lot, <laughs> right? But it's also very sad, right? Because like you said, we do know how important um, that language development is, right? I mean, expanding cognitive ability, but also later on in their journey of development, how it impacts, you know, their learning and their socialization, like all of that, right? Wow, that, that was a lot. Do you have any sense of what caused these delays? Yeah, so I think that, I mean, we all know that there were changes happening. We all lived through this, the pandemic, and we know that our interactions were changing. Our experiences, our social experiences um, were really being impacted. Um, there was obviously a lot more isolation. There was a lot of stress going on, particularly in uh, under-resourced communities, worrying about employment, worrying about you know food, worrying about everyone worrying about their their children who are in school and not able to go. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that was happening that would impact a person with respect to stress, with respect to depression, and with respect to just having the opportunities to engage more with all these other things going on. So I don't think you can point to one thing. I think for this research, we just wanted to put a spotlight on it to say, hey, this is what's happening. And I'd love for other researchers to look into it. But I'm not out on the field. So I'm I'm more like studying spreadsheets and stuff. So Barb, I think, may yeah. have some, some insight as well. I love that you said that because I was so going to segue right into her, <laughs> right in her experiences and what she's seen on the ground. Sure. So I, I think we all kind of remember where we were in March when the pandemic started shutting down the world as we know it, right? Um, a lot of um, employment, schools, and childcare had kind of uh, stopped. What we all thought would be this brief pause has ended up to be, you know, extended disruption in many of our services. Um, and for families of young children, you know, we've, we were mid-start groups with um, three different groups when kind of that moment hit. Um, and we pause service and it will be a couple of weeks and we'll start back up again. And that's not what took place. Um, we kept in contact with all of our families. And I have to tell you, everyone's experience was sudden, but they were all different. You know, some families were able to continue to work, but they were doing it virtually and still being the caregiver for their child, right? You, you know, and I don't know, I still sit here and I don't know how that happens because you can't be present for your work and then have to be there for your child. And I think that that's had effects, right? We had other families who maybe lost employment and they didn't have that support and they were isolated with their child. And everyone, you know, lost contact with your support network. You know, people were really cocooned in somewhat quickly. And, and I think with young kids who weren't able to be vaccinated or who, um, you know, may be more at risk, I think, I think families have had to really navigate, is it worth going to this person's house or out to do this? Is that going to put my child at risk? There was so much we didn't know. And we're now two years into this. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's the disruption in routines. I think that, you know, we've heard from some families who this is their third child and their experience and, and their talk levels versus the development of their older children are strikingly different to the point that parents are like, I'm, 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 I'm a little concerned. And that's why we're signing up for the class. Wow. We talked a lot about the families, how, you know, families are the primary caregivers of their children, but we also have teachers, right? And how did that impact, you know, so they've had an impact on the infants as well. What did that look like in your space, Barb? 
So for in Virginia Beach, and you know, our child care centers were considered essential service, our, and, and they were open back up fairly quickly um, for essential workers, and they've remained open. They've really been the front line throughout the pandemic, helping people get back to work and caring for kids. And there was a point when we knew that this was going longer that you know we looked at okay where are our kids learning right now they're at home with this adult caregiver or they're in our early care and education um, programs and we wanted to strengthen and support those adults to support young children's learning and so we've we've been doing Lena start with our our parents pre-COVID but during COVID we were launching Lena Grow where we could go in and really support that classroom teacher kind of help them get a view of what their language environment was in their classroom, coach them and help them set goals and remind them of the importance of the work they can do. Um, and our, our classroom teachers have been inspired and they felt supported. Um, they had a, a heavy weight, just like parents, about trying to keep all the children in their programs safe, right? Trying to keep them and their families safe and then continue to do this this you know important early childhood education work um, to support our young learners yeah when we think about infants you know the value and the importance of that face-to-face right interaction and the fact that your educators were masked up how did that impact their interactions with the infants and you know does it parallel what you know miss jill was saying about the lena study you know, it's hard to say what what we saw in the parent parents in, in classrooms, like with our parents, what Jill was sharing with the data, you know, we had this pre, pre-COVID groups of start that we compared to during year one start um, and kind of their benchmarks of where our families were starting. And by year two is where we started to see somewhat of a decline, like where our, our families were going from 50% kind of a benchmark recording to like the 25th percentile. We were also seeing more of our families kind of um, fall into this low talk group. Before the pandemic, it was about 65% of families were in low talk. Two years in, we're seeing 80% of our families um, falling into low talk. We saw amazing work going on in early childhood classrooms. And the talk environment in many of these classrooms with smaller ratios was still at, at high levels. Um, we saw teachers using amazing tools and tricks, you know, in place of that um, expressive um, language of, of with the mask. And so we, we saw a lot of resilience and adapting to that. Now we know it's had an effect, right? And we've all learned how to navigate through this and do it safely. So I think I think that the other thing is this, I think mental health and, and the social emotional wellness of the adult caregivers, right? Our outlets of support, you know, we we all thrive with human development and human interactions. And sometimes our um, support levels were not um, were affected too. And so that's going to have its effect on, on our adult caregivers. Most definitely, because you can't pour from an empty cup, right? So, you know, they have to be fueled and fed and given what they need in order to be able to support their children, right? Because they're in survival mode as well, <laughs> you know, along with their, their children. So thank you for that. My next question is going to be, what do these findings mean for children's future school readiness? So I'm kind of going back to you, Jill, right? With what Lena found out, let's talk about impact. So one thing I will mention when I was talking about the data, there's one finding that I didn't include. And that is about, so 
We also looked at the socioeconomic status um, of our participants and effects within um, different groups. And we found that the child vocalization results and the turn-taking results were both most pronounced in the lowest socioeconomic group. So we were seeing the biggest declines in um, baseline turn-taking and, and child vocal output in, in that lowest group. So I feel like that's an important thing to bring um, to, to bring up because we know that people living in under-resourced uh, communities are were hit the hardest by the pandemic. And that is really important when we're talking about long-term outcomes. So when I think about conversational turns, I think about it kind of as the first link of a, of a chain, of a sequence of things that needs to happen, right, for a child to optimize child development. So if you have turn-taking early when children are babies, they're going to be experiencing more vocabulary and learning building their vocabulary. And that is that drives reading readiness and kindergarten readiness because their vocabulary is bigger, it's easier to learn to read. That is correlated with third grade reading scores, which is very predictive of success in school. So when you when you see a weakening in the first link of the chain, that's concerning. And that's something that you want to really address as soon as you can. So I wanted to bring these results out because I think it's it's time to start thinking about supporting families and organizations that work with young children. Can I add one thing to this too, um, Angela? I know we've shared that we saw a drop in our, our start benchmark um, data when families started, but the, the other part we saw is that once families were connected to the strength-based parent group, right, and they were learning from each other, um, they were getting these feedback reports that kind of gave them a sense of where their talk levels were and setting goals, individualized goals for themselves. And we were giving take-home resources that would continue to support um, the, these habits and talking tips. Um, we saw the greatest growth from our, our group that had the lowest start. And so they were growing by um, 35 and 34 percentile from the beginning of the class to 11 weeks into the class. And so, you know, for me, I think once they saw that they had awareness of the importance of it, they were supported with other parents who are kind of in the same, um, you know, they've had the same shared circumstance and they had the resources. They, we saw that this, this sharp increase, um, you know, we do a developmental snapshot at the beginning, mid, and at the end of our class. And, and so our, our two-year into COVID fall group, um, you know, started a low on snapshot, but they developed three months for every month they were in the program just by bringing awareness to it. Um, and, you know, we were talking, so on the flip side, we didn't have this pre-COVID grow data in our, we were, we had the ability to launch grow during COVID, which we were part of an early um, education innovation grant, um, one of five cities that, that were using this top pedometer technology. And then these teachers were getting this feedback report, individualized for kids. Well, they were getting individualized feedback for children in their classroom. And so they could see children who maybe weren't verbalizing as much, and they could do intentional outreach to encourage use of language and conversations with that child. And I think, you know, what we saw in our grow data is we saw our children who started low talk had more than double the gains um, when they had intentional connection with this caring adult early education professional. 
When you looked at the Lena report, was there anything that surprised you? You know, for GROW in early education classrooms, sometimes we found that the talk levels were better with smaller groups of children, right? So programs had um, smaller smaller groups and there was a lot of conversations happening with or without masks. Those kids were still talking and interacting with each other and their adult caregiver. We saw a lot of affirmation for teachers, but then we also were able to, I think the teachers were able to really identify if children needed that more individualized support and provide it. Um, and so that kind of, that, that would kind of uh, surprise me. We did, you know, our teachers that participated in GROW were anywhere from one year experience to 25 years of experience. And all of them loved the self-reflection and this feedback report, you know, because it really helped them improve as, as teachers. And I think we get the same um, response from our families. Um, and so knowing that just the, the amount of growth and I have to tell you that our graduation rate during COVID, this last uh, fall group, it was 96%. Like, and this is a commitment during a pandemic. This is 10, 11 weeks of your time. And that these parents and these early education um, providers are very committed to doing everything they could for their child. Wonderful. Jill, were there any surprises for you as you looked and combed through the data? No, I I wouldn't say so. I mean, I say I'd say we 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 thought that we'd probably see a decline just knowing what was happening and what we were what we were hearing from others. Um, so I wasn't really surprised by that. But I I do want to follow up on uh, what Barb said about um, teachers being able to see the language experiences of the different kids in the classroom um, and being able to focus on those who are low. We call that we kind of call that like an equity lens. So um, we want all of the children, part of the purpose of Lena's technology is to make sure that all children in their classroom are getting the same amount of language exposure and language experience. And so what it will do is it, it will highlight when a child um, is much lower, is their turns are much lower than everyone else in the classroom. And that's real, that's real obvious in the reports. So teachers can see that and they focus on, and they do. I mean, we, we've got lots of data showing that when a child starts significantly lower than other children, they're they're boosted up, right? So, you know, you can see that. And then you see that in the language outcomes. You see teachers, you know, and parents noticing that the children are are um, talking more and their language skills are, are increasing. And also behavioral problems can decrease because children have the language to express themselves. So um, I'm glad to hear that, Barb. Um, another thing that I heard from our partners um, in the childcare um, arena is they would notice certain children who came back after the pandemic some of them were very different personality wise. Like they, um, they were stressed. They were, they used to be just a, a calm, you know, happy child. And then they, they were affected by this too. You know, they absorb what happens at the home and they come back to school and they're a different child. And so we have data showing that, you know, some kids are, you know, above average on turns and then they came back very low. And then again, you get that data, you, you get the feedback and the strategies and you can help lift that up. So I just feel like the feedback and, you know, the measurement and feedback part of it is so important for um, trying to, to address this. Um, so it's great that it's working out so well in Virginia Beach, Barb. 
Well, Marnetta and Joe, we, we align our grow coaching with, with class, right? Which is all about relationships. Yes. And we know, we know that the impact a caring adult can have in the lives of, of young children. And, you know, just working on the teacher sensitivity or the positive climate and, and using words maybe to describe. And, and we had some teachers, you were talking about, you know, the masks, but we had teachers saying, I'm smiling at you right now. Right, you so descriptive that. language. So verbalizing that reflective and parallel language that they're verbalizing things that we may have seen, which I think helps to maybe make up for that, you know, screen per se. I think that this whole strength-based, the coaching, the additional lens, and that I love the equity perspective on this, um, and that we saw growth in, in cl grow classrooms, our lower talk uh, children, you know, uh, increased at statistically significant rates when, when that teacher had that additional lens um, to support them. And, and same with our families, our families are re resilient. But I think, I think the intentional focused interactions, you know, to increase those interactions is essential right now with young kids. Everyone's experienced loss during, during the pandemic in some way, shape or form, whether it's a friend, a loved one, a habit or a routine. Um, you know, many have changed residences, they've moved away or, or from. Um, and so I think we just have to, you know, have that shared understanding that it's been tough and that we really are trying to let kids have the sense of safety, this caring connection and support and let them be kids, let them play again, let them get curious and explore. I love that you mentioned class, right? <laughs> and how important interactions are um, to student outcomes. Like that's what we know, right? I always tell people, you know, children don't learn. They don't think you care about them genuinely, right? There's nothing that you can tell them. There's nothing that's going to transfer if they, if they don't think you care about them, like them, and you don't have that relationship with them, which impacts not just not learning, but also behavior. But I, that's a whole nother um, podcast. But <laughs> you mentioned those intentional interactions. And I'm wondering for our listeners, for those who may not have Lena, what are some ways that caregivers like parents, early childhood educators, like what the, can they do to support these young children who have been impacted by this pandemic, right? And are experiencing this loss? I think talking, reading, singing, playing with kids is important. I think, you know, for childcare, um, there's been a lot of turnover. And we may not have had a consistent caregiver in classrooms. And I think we need to really come together to, to support our current workforce and, and try to have a, as consistent of a caregiver for these kids at this point. Some of the children have had, in the first year, I know that some of them had had three different care routines. Like they had the pre-pandemic, they had them shut down, and then there was this coming out period. And, and that 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 consistent caring adult has probably changed faster in the lives of kids. Um, and so I think it really is a call to action, you know, to really support um, and increase supports for our early education providers. Wonderful. Jill, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I would also just add that I think it's important to bring these findings to light, but I don't want parents to think that they're they're being blamed in any way for this. I want them to just know that they're not alone. You know, I, I think that it, we're seeing consistent changes um, across all SES groups 
and also in, in classrooms. So, you know, it's just, it's something to shine a light on, but we don't want parents to feel overburdened or overstressed. So one of the things that we emphasize in our programs is trying to increase talk during activities that you're already doing, during your daily routines, not adding another thing, not a lot of people don't have a half an hour to sit and play with their child. But if their child's around when they're doing laundry or cooking, you know, there's ways to bring them into it and to really expose them to vocabulary and, and get them talking and get that connection going. So I would say tr trying to emphasize that would be a good way to kind of take these these findings forward. Yeah, just make it part of your regular everyday. I love that. It's not another thing. It's just enhancing what you're already doing, right? I'm verbalizing, you know, <laughs> self-talking mm -hmm. when I'm walking through <laughs> during the day, using descriptive language. Absolutely. Words, really simple, wonderful. I appreciate that. And I think those are things that people can do that would be really helpful to increase the language for the infants. And they're, it's easy, right? It's inexpensive. <laughs> Um, simple and, you know, accessible. So I want to thank you guys, Dr. Jill and Barb for joining me today. You can find today's episode and the transcript on our website, teachstone.com slash impacting. And as always, behind great leading and teaching are powerful interactions. Let's build that culture together. <laughs>